0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Oh, boy. He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull.
1: I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome everybody here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin, joined on this fine Monday afternoon, depending on where you're at uh by cranges you know him on twitter as cranges mcbasketball you know him if you listen to his show as tim he is now like somehow a long time i think friend of the show Tim, like that have we reached that point i think we have
0: uh, i guess so man yeah i've been we've both been in the game for a bit and uh yeah i i'd say so
1: I'll never forget the first time I met you, you making the case that it was actually okay, if not good to take charges in pickup. And I have never been (laughs) able to disassociate you from that take since like you've done incredible things in terms of analysis and in terms of like legit additions to the game of basketball. But all I can ever think about is you screaming at me in Vegas, not screaming, but like, like, Adamantly pontificating that, that actually charges belong in pickup basketball, and 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 I just think that's always what what it's going to be.
0: Well, I will I will try I will try to change some hearts and minds today in uh, in Laker and non Laker ways, I suppose. If you're yeah. out there listening, don't don't take charges on like concrete. Uh, don't hurt yourselves. But mm-hmm. you know, on a, a nice well-made basketball court. I've taken many a charge and never gotten injured doing so. Uh, and it's something that happens all the time. It's a winning play. It's a, it's a winning play. Uh, I actually, the most one of the most recent times I've played, I took a charge and oh it was to, the, the guy hit the, hit the layup. It was a game-winning uh-huh. layup. I took the charge to negate, but they didn't know what to do. They were like, well, that doesn't count, but also the charge doesn't count. So we're just going to check it up and try again. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> i i hate it man i don't know i understand why people don't want to do it and now that i'm getting a little older i i'm making more business decisions in my life but mm-hmm. i have a, a great appreciation for those who who are willing to to put their body on the line and you know i'll take a little bit of a hit and if you know if you how have uh, ball, it's not too bad
1: it's it's not the charge taker i'm all that worried about it's the it's the like it's the notion of it, but no, we'll, we'll that there's plenty of time for that conversation later. We have a ton that we have to get to here because um, I want to talk about Anthony Davis's shot diet. That is going to be uh, one of the things that we talk about here. I want to talk about Torian Prince. Uh, he has become kind of a lightning rod for discussion on the Lakers. So we're going to, we're going to discuss his role as guys get better uh, and, and healthier. Um, I want to talk about the five out offense. And then, you know, just kind of a, a fun look analytically at the Lakers and where they stand right now with a few uh, notes here at the very end of the show. A uh, quick reminder, this show and several of our shows here moving forward are going to be brought to you by Sleeper. The Sleeper app is, uh, whoop, there it is. Uh, use our promo code LA Lounge to get up to a 100 bucks in a deposit match the first time you deposit money into the Sleeper app. Find me on there at Anthony Ruen L.A., we will do some picks later in the week, as we always do every week. Uh, but again, that is the Sleeper app, and uh, I will see you on there. At an- at Anthony Irwin LA, use that promo code LA Lounge. All right, uh, let's start with the Anthony Davis thing, because um, I generally, I acknowledge analytics have their place in sports. At the end of the day, it is just information. I don't know why people are so intimidated by the term. Um, and just generally speaking, like societally, for some reason, the more that somebody becomes educated on a subject, it's almost like a, a there's almost an inherent fight against that information, which is super weird to me. I, I, I will never understand it. But um, where I do find myself bumping in the discourse about Anthony Davis coming into the season, Darvin Ham said that he wanted AD shooting six threes a game. Uh, AD is shooting a 10th of that. He is shooting shooting uh, 0.6 three-pointers a game and, in fact, has actually really limited the number of shots that he takes outside the restricted area in general. And now while some would say uh, that that is actually a good thing, that a bad shooter taking fewer jump shots is a, a good thing, um and i understand where why somebody would would arrive at that at that conclusion i do think it makes him kind of one-dimensional and therefore a little easier to defend so so tim i'm going to let you make the case for ad shooting far less jumpers in general uh over the course of his career Compared to where he was in the bubble, where I thought that was the best version of him, in part because he was hitting a lot of those jumpers. I understand that was an outlier just in in the general sense, and it and it only looks more and more like an outlier the further that we depart from it. But I, I, I don't like the notion of making AD less versatile on either side of the court. So where do you stand here? Uh,
0: generally, I don't want ba- players taking shots they're bad at. Like, and and the mm-hmm. analytics piece of it is really just about contextualizing, you know, how valuable is this thing versus what else we could do. Like an AD post up this year, it's generating 1.165 points per possession, a bunch of numbers there. If you were to convert that to a three point percentage, you'd have to shoot 39% from three to equal the value that an Anthony Davis post up is generating this season. If you. You are looking at him as a role man, very efficient offense, all those things that are closer to the rim. He's he's good at those. He's really good at those. He's drawing shots around the rim, draw fouls more. You get more offensive rebounds. It's just better offense in general. Over the course of his career on wide open threes, he has shot 29.6%. That's, that's very poor. He's never in a season of his career shot above average or league average on wide open threes. As a Laker, he's at 31.7%. He's at 24.9% in the past three seasons. If you look at our difficulty adjusted three-point shot making metric at b Index, he's a D or an F just about every season. So he's normally bad at it. And if he were to start trying to do them more, I don't know why we would expect a change. It's not new. It's not like this is an old school center that for the first time in his career is trying to stretch out his shooting. This isn't that. He's, he's been shooting threes for a decade and he's been bad for a decade. He is not shooting well from mid range right now. And most years of his career, that's not been great offense. So it's not like, oh, well, one step forward, he's shooting awesome. So, you know, just, it's just one step back. You're going to, you know, the percentage is going to drop a little, but you get the extra point. This isn't that situation. He hasn't been good from mid range. He hasn't changed his shot form either. So I don't think we need to treat this as though we're gathering new information and we have no prior background. Like this is someone that consistently for a long time, has not been at a level that I would say is worth allocating resources to and possessions to. Instead of that, I would rather have the other players on the court who are better three-point shooters than him spacing and him being a role man or a post guy. Or if you you know want to get him off of off ball screens, you can run pin downs for him. There are a number of ways, a number of versatile ways you can involve him at things he's good at. And I don't think that needs to involve him shooting three-pointers and For context on the bubble piece, it's a 28-game sample. And if you look at every 28-game sample of his career, he's shot league like 36% or higher from three, like 1% or 2% of the time his entire career. And he has not done it since the bubble. So he might, for a stretch of time, be able to briefly get back to that. And that's league average. That's not fantastic three-point shooting. But that's not something that we have any reason to expect will be sustainable. And I know I have an emotional attachment to what he did in the bubble. It got us a title. It, it worked through some not so great offensive scheme and some limitations that group had. When '80s, you know, in God mode as a jump shooter, it didn't matter. But that's not the type of thing that you can turn on and flip. You know, flip a switch for. We don't. We haven't seen that for him. Other seasons. We haven't seen that for LeBron or other guys. Like, if it were something that were just a discretionary effort, oh, I'm going to try more and they're going to go in more, I, I'd be more open to it. Or the fact that maybe it'll show up in the playoffs, like, you know, LeBron boxing out or making rotations, but it's not that thing. It's just kind of random variance. And so, if we can't control it and try to peak at the right time, I'd rather just not spend plays taking two, three, four, five threes a game from him when you can give those shots to anybody else from three and they're probably better or give him other opportunities to score. And it's more likely most more efficient offense.
1: Yeah. And, and like, as you're talking, right, I'm realizing that I am essentially, you know, fighting a losing battle, right? Because statistically everything that you're saying is objectively true. Um, The only thing that, that, you know, for me becomes the difference between looking at this as a sheer production thing versus like, all right. So the example that I would use is in baseball, right? um We've seen this statistical and analytical evolution where everybody realized easily by far the most efficient thing that can happen when you're at, at when, when you're up at the plate is to hit a Homer, right? Like that's the, that's the far and away that's the best outcome. And, mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, you're better off striking out than uh, you are hitting like a grounder to short, right? Because if you have a, a a guy on on first base, then all of a sudden that that at bat or that appearance um, is now two outs rather than just the one, and um, like that difference in approach, because it's baseball, and baseball is essentially like as a sport the adding together of a bunch of individual performances, you can have that kind of a shift and it might not affect the rest of the guys around you in that batting order. Right. Um, there are some instances where you can or whatever, but like nobody listening really needs to hear a, a big ass diatribe about baseball um, in basketball though, when you have such a distinct and tangible difference in approach, it does has an, it have an impact on everybody around you. And I think that in this case, AD, so you, you you mentioned the bubble season. And in his time as a Laker, uh, you had in 2019 and 2020, that, that, that title season, he attempted three and a half, three threes a game. He shot 33% on those threes for the season. Um, and then ever since then, every year has been a, a, a step back. So he shot 2.8 the following season, 1.8 the year after that. the year last year. And then this year, he's all the way down to 0.6 attempts a game. Um, I would love, I haven't seen it asked. I would love to see an explanation. um, If this is something that like he is choosing to do, Versus what the coaches want him to do, right? You had Darwin give those quotes, but Darwin lies all the time. So, like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, carry to uh, you, know, uh carry too much uh, truth to the stuff that he says when he's like hyping guys up. Um, in in the way that he was when he's saying that AD he wanted AD shooting six threes a game, but the reason I say I'm okay offering up a couple possessions over the course of a game to AD taking a, a couple of those threes is and and by the way I am not thinking in any way that like AD shooting two threes is going to open up the entire court for everybody out there but I do kind of think that like the more that you pass up on good shots or the more that the defense knows that you just flat out are not going to take certain shots um the 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 tougher that those possessions get the later into into the shot clock that you get because you didn't take one of those shots because you didn't even stand in that spot because you know that you're not going to take that shot. And, and that's where like, I, you know, that's where I kind of run up against from a sheer production standpoint. You are absolutely correct that that devoting any resources to a bad three point shooter is not very smart, but I do think that, you know, a, a couple possessions, a game over the course of a season might make him more of a threat at the end of the year than he has been at the ends of all of these years. And like last year, the reason Jared Vanderbilt couldn't play um in, you know, was played off of the court was because LeBron's foot made him a worse shooter and AD just at that point, you knew that he wasn't going to shoot from the outside and it just makes it really difficult to have another non-floor spacer out there in Vanderbilt. And I, I, I do kind of think there might be some value in a three or two, a game so that ad has some confidence later in the season um that's where that's where you know that's where i find myself kind of in the middle of this discussion understanding where you are um i don't want him shooting five or six threes a game so that's the other end of the spectrum but like where i sit right now is i i, I do think there might be some value in bumping it from like 0. 0.6 to at the very least like between one and two
0: so I, I would say that there isn't a meaningful, di- and I think you mentioned this er- earlier in your point, there's not a meaningful difference from a gravity standpoint between no. shooting like half a three or like two and a half threes. Like Yusuf Nurkic is shooting 26% on two and a half threes a game right now, and I'm not, I don't care. Like, I'm not respecting that. It, where, and, and I like the idea of trying to prepare guys for the moment at the same time, like prepare them for the right shots. Like what are the shots? the shots we want you taking in the playoffs are the shots we're going to prepare you for now. And I, as like a scheme guy looking at how the Lakers are operating, I'm not seeing a, like, I don't know what the schematic problem is that we're trying to solve by making AD shoot more. If that's part of the angle here, like if you are trying to post up LeBron And there's help defense coming. The Lakers have a lot of help beaters. They do different things. There are a bunch of different options, but almost all of them include somebody cutting into the paint. And if he's left alone and his guy goes to double LeBron, he can go cut to the paint and he's a great, you know, tall option, easy to pass to going to finish well, well around the rim. We don't need him standing around. The other thing they'll do. And it's really based on the, the type of help that defense sends is set a pin in flare screen, just set a screen for a shooter. And he is certainly equipped to do something like that. And then if the defense sends, sells out to that shooter, he can then slip to the rim after setting the screen. I, I think mm-hmm. in if we're trying to think about like, I, I guess what I'm trying to articulate is I'm not seeing plays offensively where 80's lack of gravity is currently hurting the Lakers in a way where I think the team needs to like build an extra volume for him. If he's gonna shoot six a game, that would be second most of any center in the NBA. And if he's shooting six a game and he's shooting yeah. 25% or 30%, like that's that's a lot of plays that you could be doing something yeah. else that's more effective. I, I would say as a scheme guy, there are just even if it were a problem, there are workarounds and other ways to help the spacing in the gravity situation without needing him to to shoot those shots. Like you you said you want guys to be ready to take good shots. Good depends on who you are. Like, I, I think that's something that with the analytics piece, and you, you didn't say this, but uh, people often mistake, well, the analytics say you need to take the threes, not the layups, or the threes, not the twos. It really depends who you are. <laughs> Ridiculous. Like, the guys <laughs> well, that are good at the middies, I want you to cook mid midrange. The guys who are good from three, yeah. I want you to shoot threes. If you're not good at those shots, we don't want you to shoot in those shots. Like, the, the shot that analytics wants to take away with the middies is the pick and pop center who's popping one step inside the three-point line and yeah. shooting on a two instead of shooting 35% by taking an extra half step backwards. Um, Like those are the kinds of shots we're trying to get rid of just like with, you know, with the threes, if it's not a good shot for you, don't take it. Uh, So I don't know. I, I don't think you would be able to shoot enough threes that would get his confidence up to a level that he feels great. And also not actively hurt your offense like you need the variance to hit correctly and then also have a lot of you know shots going to that and unless you truly think that he will sustain it I don't I don't think it's worth it like if if this if the variance is good right now and the volume's there and that leads to him taking more threes and he isn't able to sustain the shooting it's it's bad for us long term if we have him take a bunch of threes and the variance isn't there right now and he's shooting 28 or 30 or 32 percent it's bad for us now and then it also doesn't help us later so I, don't. Know. I, I think your assessment was correct that you're kind of fighting against the, the facts with this one.
1: Oh, oh I boy, know I am.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say. He's bad at them. Yeah. So don't take them.
1: Do you think that his reluctance to shoot, you know, cause now, now we're reaching a point where, you know, I think, I think, uh pete pointed out on on the lfr pod that he's shooting like 30 percent outside of the restricted area or outside of the key now right where Mm -hmm. you're seeing you're seeing a complete erosion of you know from him as a jump shooter um what's super weird is that like he's doing all that while he's shooting i believe the best or oh just just shy of the best he's ever shot from the free throw line on like good volume too it's the weirdest thing that this guy is like a good shooter. I mean, it's it, it kind of makes sense, right? Because once you introduce jumping into a jumper, right, that that that's a that's a whole new set of variables that can be different to 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 work with. That's why I I would actually kind of like to see him like find a set shot. You know, you watch him even when he's open, he's like shooting fadeaways when he's wide open from from the perimeter. He's developed mm-hmm. some super weird habits as as a jump shooter. Um, but like, do you think they're is a potential correlation between how easy it appears to be to take him out of games as they go on, you know, where you'll see him not get a shot attempt in the fourth quarter or only get up a couple in the second half after he was super aggressive to start a game. Do you think there's a correlation between some of the predictability that I'm concerned with by not taking some of those shots and the defense's abilities to, to take him out of games?
0: Not the threes. Like I, I expect his mid-range shooting to recover. He's been a good mid-range shooter his whole career. When you adjust for his shot difficulty, he just is always taking really hard shots right now. Yeah. He's still taking really hard shots, but then just not hitting them. And I don't have any reason to believe that won't bounce back. It's he hasn't been a guy that's had a ton of variance year to year in that shot making data. So I, right now it's 20 games. in. like, we're seeing some guys shoot poorly from three. We're seeing some guys shoot poorly from mid-range and I would expect them to, to get back more to their norm. And he's one of those players. So, I'm being patient with the mid-range shooting. I think it is a valid concern to, you know, as a fan to 180 to be able to consistently get shots up. I would, you know, kind of pose it back on you. Like when he's not able to shoot out of the post, like what is that? what does that mean for the Lakers offense? Not necessarily AD, but like if he gets the ball, he gets double teamed as long as the the rest of the team is doing what they're supposed to do, and we've seen them run more and more help beaters over the course of the year, that's leading to open shots for teammates. And if they don't go in, they don't go in, but those are good shots. And most of the time it's good offense from a a quality. And then also a result standpoint, like I'm happy with that. Are, Are you happy with like 80, if he posts up 10 times and he gets zero shots out of it, but it's leading to him passing to cutters and passing to open threes, like through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: Problem is strong. I would probably say, you know, I, I, I do think there is always going to be value in your best or second best player getting a couple extra shots. Like that's, like Kobe is right behind me here, right? You know, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and so like, yeah, some of the shots that Kobe might take while he's double teamed or something like that, are going to be, you know, quote unquote, less efficient than like an open corner three from, you know, back in the day, it would have been like Rick Fox or, you know, Robert Ory or whoever it was. And yeah, that's where, again, you, 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 you run up against, uh, and, and this was like the crux of the debate about Kobe in the era of analytics as it was, as he was kind of, you know, he, he played most of his career during one era And then analytics started making their way into uh, the popularity of the game or the popularity of of analytics started, you know, increasing at the tail end of his career. And the, you know, the the debate that you always had about him was, well, yeah, he was a good mid-range jump shooter. And inherently, if he is double teamed, it is going to be a more difficult shot than if he just like passed the ball to an open shooter, right. If he just hit Derek Fisher or something like that, that would be the more effective shot or more, the, the more impactful shot. But I was always a lot more confident with Kobe taking that, that contested mid range jump shot over, you know, certain shooters and Torian Prince, right. Comes to mind as somebody who has recently um, started to progress to the mean a little bit. So you're, he's shooting a little bit better now, but when the ball over the course of the season to this point, his like, Gone from AD in the post to open Tory and Prince. I'm just like, please, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, please make it. Like, you better make that shot, Prince, because that is a possession um, that is otherwise very, very efficient, right? An AD post touch is typically pretty efficient to now um, somebody who hasn't been able to throw a pee in the ocean. So, yeah, like, that's where, that's where, again, I am arguing facts. And I don't like arguing facts <laughs> because I am an in inherent losing position, but that's where the difference between, I guess, practicalized, uh, you know, efficiency and theoretical efficiency, that's where I kind of run up, run up against it, where I, I would actually prefer to see a tougher AD jumper or, or whatever over, you know, certain guys shooting open three-pointers. Cuts are different because cuts – you know, the Lakers have such good finishers on their team that if it is a cut, then I'm not going to really complain about that too much, but open three pointers. That's, that's where I, I, get to, I start to feel a little uncomfortable. Do you, can I ask you this because like I'm having this conversation with you, my dad is, you know, is retired now, but he was an engineer and everything about the, that he, about the world, he saw uh, basically, you know, from, from, a, a hugely, hugely practical standpoint. And so when I would have these conversations with him, because he was on team, like just rotate the ball, Kobe. And I was more on team. No, I want Kobe taking some of those jumpers. Um, like, do you do you see where the other side comes from and, and like why I would be nervous seeing Tori and Prince open in the corner to this point?
0: So I, I see where you're coming from. I think that, really comes down to like the details like who are you kicking out to how open are the shots if if every time you can guarantee me like it's going to be an open three for like a a good three-point shooter i will live with those results and Mm -hmm. if we lose we lose and that is the kind of process that i want instilled in my team and like as a team you want the good shooters to keep shooting you have to understand that especially with three-pointers you have so much shot variance over time that uh i think it's really easy for fans to think well this guy is a 37 percent three-point shooter that means he's going to shoot 37 percent every week or every month and that's not the case and that's not the case for anybody. Yeah. and there will be down stretches and you want him to keep shooting because <laughs> then you're going to get back to the normal stretches and then the up stretches and so you kind of want the pro- that's why teams focus so much on the process and like we play 82 games like they're they're there will be up and down stretches. We've seen Prince. He started hot. He was shooting 40%. Then he was shooting like 22% for like eight games. And now he's shooting 41, 42% over the past like six or seven. So it, yeah. it goes up and down. LeBron went up and down. D'Lo went up and down. Reeves has gone up and down. It, it just happens. Last season, other guys went up. Rui went up and down. And at, when everyone's down, people talk about benching guys. And this is awful. He needs to be out of the rotation. And then as soon as the regression goes the other way, they, they shut up. And we need to be able to learn, like, this is going to happen. It will continue to happen. There will be guys that continue to have this issue. It feels worse when you start the year that way. But, like, if we get a Torian Prince open three, I feel good about that result, even if the shot doesn't go in, which even for good three-point shooters, more than half the time it's not going in. Because I've seen, like, I I tracked in 2021, and I can throw the, I'll try to throw the link in the chat. Uh, I tracked the Lakers every post up the team ran. And if the defense sent help and then how effective the team was when AD was able to get like a one V one opportunity, he was scoring 1.07 points per possession, which was very good. Um, when he was trying to, when he was double teamed and he tried to fight through it, he was scoring 0.9 points per possession, which is not good. And then when the team ran counters and he was feeding those counters, the team scored 1.5 points per possession, which is phenomenal. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Like really, really good. So as long as the process is there and that's why, you know, I'm a big, I, I I don't even know if help beater was a term until I started tweeting it out a million times a couple of years ago. You're going to see me tweet about that and talk about that a lot on streams, on pods. When basketball is a draw help, beat help game at the end of the day, if you have a superstar like Kobe, that's going to draw help doing nothing. Great. You've got a four V three to attack now. And that's, you yeah. know, the right play I think is finding the open guy. And if, if, your guys are just standing around. It makes it really hard to have that 4v3 offense be as effective as it can be. When you're using those help beaters to maximize your 4v3, you will get a good shot unless a pass is off or somebody doesn't catch the ball or whatever it happens to be. So I'm pleased with 80 double teams, bring them all day. The Lakers have the right stuff in the playbook. They're finding the guys. And from the tracking I've done, looking at every play the Lakers have run this season and and logging what's happened those kickouts have yielded good results. And uh, I want to I continue seeing it happen. And you can say the same sort of thing with like rolls. Like 80 as a roll man is phenomenal. If the defense wants to sell out to take those rolls away, they're going to give up wide open threes or they're going to give up drives to the rim. And those are good outcomes for us. So he's not the shooter on the play. He wasn't the passer on the play. He never touched the ball. But his yeah. roll gravity created an open three for a teammate So I'm happy with that. And I mean, it's never really going to happen this way, but AD could have a game where he has zero shots, but was able to create a bunch of points for teammates because he was the guy drawing help, whether he was on ball in the post or rolling to the basket. And when he's on the perimeter, getting back to our earlier discussion, he's not someone you need to send help on. So I want to, I want to put him in positions to be drawing that help because if it's automatic, great. Like I'll play four V three all day long. Power plays are great plays.
1: Yeah, I again, and this is this is where uh, I want everybody listening like Tim, you and and, and the rest of the gang over there at, at Lakers Exceptionalism, which you can find them on on all acts or no on, um playback where you could watch games with them. They do great stuff, um, not just while you're watching, but they also have a bunch of stuff going on during timeouts and halftime and stuff that is really smart, intelligent stuff. So you're going to want to check that, that out. They have their discord. They have their podcast. It is great. Um, and I want everybody to be clear here. Like, even though we're disagreeing, I am doing so. Um, you know, the reason that I wanted to have this podcast is because, like, if I find myself disagreeing with somebody on something, I want to figure out like why. I want to figure out like, well, is there anything that I can learn here that would make me feel better about about you know that process that that Tim keeps talking about. And that's essentially where I'm kind of feeling my you know starting to be swayed. But the one thing I would say though is. Like the reason that the thing that I think separated Kobe, even from most guys who commanded doubles, right? The thing that separated Shaq from just about every other player in the history of the sport is because he was so good at scoring through some of those doubles Shaq in particular, right? was just so strong that he would split doubles and, and and he would wind up getting fouled on his way to the basket. Um, But with uh, the, when you are that good, and when you show any ability whatsoever at scoring against some of those doubles, it forces that double to come that much harder at you, right? It forces that trap, those, those that team has to sell out that much harder and it becomes that much harder to uh, to, to recover. In the case of AD shooting threes, right? The thing that um, I find myself kind of frustrated with the shot diet is, especially in the mid-range, is, you know, it used to be if he would pump fake in the mid-range, guys would have to react because he was a, to this point, a very good mid range jump shooter. And now that that shot diet is kind of shifting, I think, um, you're not seeing that reaction from guys. And I think that does make him a little bit easier to guard. And, And to me, if a player or if an approach is making the best or second best player on a team easier to guard, then you're kind of sort of doing the defense's job for them. And that's where I start to get, A little iffy about about that that process to be even though like i play blackjack um i don't like randomly decide on on any given night going in okay i'm going to hit all of the soft 17s or or just based off of vibes change my approach for the next time because the last time i stayed on 17 the the dealer flipped over an 18 right or whatever um that's how that's how casinos really wind up winning because you do have to play the math and And it certainly really, really helps. Like I'll leave tables if I see somebody um, being too unpredictable with, with the math there, because that's costing me money while I sit there at that table. So like the process does matter. I'm not arguing against process. I, I, I just think that through some, if, if the focus is hyper efficiency, it can lead to some predictability that, that. I, I, I fear that we're kind of reaching with AD and, and yeah, Tim, you mentioned there can there can be a game. There can be four court, quor- the like fourth quarters, right. Where he doesn't take a shot, but because of his presence on the court that makes the game easier for everybody. That was a Steph argument back when he won the, or no, Iggy won the finals MVP and the people who thought Steph should have won was Iggy was able to do whatever. And the rest of that team was able to do what they were doing offensively because Steph was out there and he had to be guarded up at half court. Totally understand that, that argument. I actually wanted LeBron to win that finals MVP because he averaged a triple double and the guy who won it was giving credit for holding LeBron to a triple double. So like, um, I, this is where I kind of run up against that again, it, it is conceptual and, and it is like tangible impact on guys. Uh, when you focus highly on process but I do think some of that uh, predictability can also kind of hurt the process. I don't know if that makes sense. I, did I phrase that okay?
0: Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So if what you're saying is true and it's a problem, what does that look like? I think is where we need to bring the conversation. Because okay. theoretically, I agree with you. Like if if they don't respect, like let's think Russell Westbrook, if they don't respect your jump shot and they sag off you, it's going to be harder for you to drive. That's mm-hmm. that's the idea here with AD is if they, if they don't need to guard up on you they're going to be able to defend the rim better. What does that look like for him? What does that look like for teammates? I would think that would look like at a team level or maybe at an Anthony Davis level. He's not able to like his rim frequency is low. I know at a Lakers team level right now, they have the number two uh, field goal percentage at the rim and they are top five in rim frequency. Both of those are up from last season and I would say are, like, I'm happy. I'm, I'm really happy with where those are. They're drawing fouls at a great, like, elite rate. So that's pretty good. 80 this season, his rim, rim frequency is 48%, and he's shooting 69% once he's there. Last season, he was at 42% rim frequency, so he's getting there more now, and his percentage was a little higher last season. His shot-making has not been. It started poor, and then when he was playing through that hip injury, it was poor, but it seems like he's more himself now. Um, Mm-hmm. if that rim frequency drops and he becomes more of a jump shooter, I'm now in like problem solving mode. As long as he's able to continue getting those roles and those post-ups and it's either good offerings for him or his teammates. And, it, and then also we have talked about like the wide pin downs, the team runs for him. If you, if you trail around it, he's, you know, attacking downhill. If you try to switch it, he can post up a guard in the middle of the paint. If they go under it, there are counters the Lakers haven't yet installed this season that they had last season that once they install should yield some open threes for his teammates. Um, mm-hmm. But I am comfortable with knowing that LA has like three general approaches. And if you've got Navita Zubats, I'm not as into posting him up on V1, but I'm happy to throw him in a wide pin down and make him chase around. If you've got a more mobile, smaller guy, I'm happy to post him up. If you are a team that's hedging, I'm happy to you know run more pick and roll plays and get AD rolling downhill. Or if you're a switching team, the Lakers have more those step-up ball screens that are instead of a left-right screen, it's more of a up-down kind of screen, and that gives him inside position on his new defender. So the Lakers have the right – like they can play the uh, rock, paper, scissors game with AD based on what your personnel is and based on what your scheme is. And unless that changes and unless his rim frequency drops – I I think we can continue having this conversation, but it's not urgent enough that I would feel the need to ask him to take shots we know he has been bad at for an extended period of time. And so when his when mid-range jumpers, which he's still taking, fall more, I think we see that issue fixed. But even with that b- being down for him, it hasn't led to him like not getting to the rim big picture.
1: All fair. Um it, it sounds then like because the other thing I wanted to talk about here was the five out system that Darvin Hammond and, and, and the coaching staff has tried to implement. And one of the it sounds to me like you kind of like the shot profile, the statistical profile that would outline the process. Do I have that right? Or how, how do you feel about five out so far?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Um something I want to make a note of is that most of the top plays the team is or the actions and the sets themselves that the team is running. This year, they ran last year. Like, I'm looking at their top seven, no, their top five plays this season that they've run were all top seven plays from last year. It's a lot of stuff that was four out, one in, that they have just turned into five out, but they're getting to the same concept. So, it's there's not a it, there hasn't been a big stylistic change for them. The big difference is just you are removing two players from hanging out like in or around the paint. So, you're removing the goalie that was in front of the rim at all times last season. By you having someone in the dunker spot which has yielded to more shots at the rim and more effectiveness at the rim which is kind of the, the goal here from my perspective
1: mm-hmm.
0: so yes to answer your question yes
1: yeah i i um again like <laughs> i'm i'm putting myself i gotta stop putting myself in this spot i guess um because just statistically speaking you're right on on all that you said there um where I get a little nervous and where I get a little frustrated with the five out system is I, I almost feel like sometimes it can be a little too egalitarian. And I think that some of the guys who have struggled with their shot and like, look, like you mentioned earlier, sometimes slumps just happen and there isn't necessarily a, an explanation for it, but one potential explanation for why say the Lakers specifically keep having guys struggle with shooting the basketball compared to everywhere else they have played, right? Like Malik Beasley has been a flamethrower again this year. Um, one potential explanation here with this season, with the guys st- struggling who have struggled at various points this season is I think sometimes the, the, the system that they have utilized has um, made their shot diet somewhat inconsistent and they don't necessarily know when or where those shots are going to come from. And you know, you have guy like, so when I thought when Prince was like really in the middle of a slump, I actually thought he was pressing pretty hard to try to get more shots up to eventually arrive at that um, positive regression to the mean. And you know, some of what that looks like sometimes, right. Is, is, is that like (laughs) I go into some of these possessions and I never really feel like there's a directive there. And over the course of a game, I don't feel enough as if there is a consistent um, directive across the team to get guys certain looks on certain spots of the court um, that they can then become a little bit more reliable with. And I know that the other side of this coin, right, is me saying, you know, me, me kind of whining about the lack of predictability for, uh, you know, AD in that uh, that predictability actually making him easier to guard. And so now to have me whining about uh the lack of predictability and and what that might do for the defense, right? I get that, that that can be kind of frustrating and and difficult to stick with. But I do like I think my 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 biggest concern here with with five out to this point is you have guys in D'Angelo Russell and in uh Austin Reeves and in Torian Prince who like want to get him up. And, you know, to them, an open three-pointer is an open three-pointer is an open three-pointer. And, and I have felt sometimes that it, it would sometimes lead to, um, you know, a, a lack of rhythm across the offense in its entirety. Have you gotten that sense at all? It, it, have, have, you, uh, have you noticed that? Do you think that's a potential explanation for some of the struggles the Lakers have had shooting collectively?
0: I think it's an interesting theory. I, I would take a look at and I was in the background here pulling up like the usage mm-hmm. rates for, for various Lakers. Like this year, LeBron's usage rate is down 3% from last year. 80s is down 2% from last year. It's like it's down. It's not a huge difference and not to the point that I think like they're, you know, thinking like, man, I'm just standing around. I'm not getting the ball. Um, I, I think part of this is that the roster is more talented. And part of this is you now have like D'Lo and Austin, who you trust to run ball screens effectively. And you're, we're seeing more like LeBron as a screener um, and things like that, that use him well, where they're using it. Like, I think what 80 is asked to do is the stuff he's good at. What LeBron's asked to do is the stuff he's good at. The team is having the shooter shoot, the ball handlers, you know, drive and playmakers playmaking all that stuff. I've, it seemed as though, and I don't have a number to pull out here, but it seemed as though the team has been able to like, know what they want to do well enough and their calling plays out at a really high rate right now. And when they're calling plays out, it's putting the right people in the right positions. I'm not seeing like big stretches where the key guys aren't touching the ball. I can understand as a role player. And I think that's just a general thing. Like there will be certain games you get one shot or two shots, other games you get seven or eight and it's harder to catch a rhythm when you're getting one or two or three. And that comes at the expense of a LeBron or an AD getting more volume maybe we're seeing more roster talent equal a little bit more balance, or we are seeing like LeBron getting a little older, wanting to defer a little bit more at certain points in time, leading to him involved a little less, or we're seeing AD defenses selling out to stop him creating shots for others, as we talked about. And it's okay. Like, I don't, I don't have anything that I've tracked that can definitively answer if this like is happening to a significant degree, It's not something I'm noticing or really seeing. Um, Mm. I like looking at the top sets the team is running this year. It's, it's all the type of stuff you'd want to run. It's a lot of pick and roll offense with a lot of ad rolling, Braun driving, D lower Austin driving, shooter spacing. It's, it's the same sort of stuff we ran last year with the same guys in the same positions uh, just with a little bit of a different roster. So I'm, I'm cool with it. And, but I'll try to pay a little bit more attention to that. See if that's something that maybe like the usage consistency itself, which is something we do calculate at B-ball index, but haven't gotten up just yet. Um, I'd be curious to see what that looks like this year versus last season for, for key Lakers. Cause maybe that consistency is down and that could, you know, funk with the rhythm.
1: Yeah, it's it, it, most of the stuff that I that I have are basically theories and and at this stage of the season especially given the amount of injuries that they've had it's really difficult to turn a theory into anything beyond that, right? Um and it and it, it's going to take larger sample sizes it's going to take you know you need guys to fall into and out of slumps more often than they have to this point in the season to try to explain why they may have fallen into that slump. Um, what other than just making shots, pull them out of the slump, what can be done to help avoid or improve that situation later in, in, in the season. And, and unfortunately that just kind of takes time Last thing before we get you out of here. And, and I apologize for keeping you a little bit longer here. Um, and you did just like kind of sort of promise that you're coming back. So I'm, I'm, I'm holding you to that, but, um, and Prince has been a, a, subject of a lot of debate. And especially now that guys are starting to get healthy, I am of the opinion that I'm cool with, I not outright benching him, um, not, you know, taking all of his minutes away or anything like that. Uh, I, I would consider moving him out of the starting group. Um, you know, just cause I don't think that on even three or four attempts a game, I don't think he's really providing a ton of spacing. Um, and I don't think you can actually provide spacing without having like an all time incredible shooter on the court next to LeBron and AT. But um, yeah, I, what kind of season do you think Torian Prince is having to this to this point?
0: I'm saying he's certainly thus far shot below his norm and what I would expect him to shoot moving forward. That's just shot variance. That's not something that has me concerned. I looked at his slump this year versus other normal slumps that he's had and others have had, and it was nothing out of the normal. So we have at this point, no reason to believe like statistically, there there are no indicators that are telling us that we should expect him to be worse than he has been in the past. So Mm -hmm. we've seen what the bad looks like. It still looks like him being guarded. It's not like he's being left alone. Like I I tracked Jared Vanderbilt's first game over 50% of the time he was spacing out uh, in the game, his defender just completely ignored him and went to disrupt plays. like he's in the, in the left corner. <laughs> he, yeah he, he was sending yeah. in the left corner a couple plays his man was at the right block <laughs> defending drives from the right wing like banana stuff we're not seeing that yeah. with, with Prince uh Cam Reddish we've seen similar things with him where his man is is roaming a bit and we've seen that lead to AD and LeBron and D'Lo getting fewer shots at the rim when he's on court with them and becoming Mm -hmm. more jump shooters, which isn't from my perspective, ideal now gives you good stuff on defense. And that's part of the give and take with him with Prince. He has enough of a reputation. And I think teams understand the variance thing well enough that they're not like, oh, this guy's only shooting 20%. We can leave him alone. Like, no, they're still guarding him. When he runs a pin down, there are still two defenders engaged. And it's that kind of stuff weak side that makes it so the help defense that we were talking about disrupting AD isn't able to help. And those are some of the like ancillary actions, the off ball stuff that we're seeing built in more and more to the scheme that the first five, six games of the year just weren't there yet. They were just building in the staples. Like this is stuff that having actually had to go through this myself, I have more of a respect for with the coaches, like building in the playbook over time. We're getting more to the, the portion of the year where the fun bells and whistles are being installed. And from my perspective, the number one beneficiary of that will be LeBron and AD because it's going to mean Prince and maybe Max Christie, probably some D'Lo, probably some Reeves, using the, these off-ball screens, making it so two or three defenders at a time aren't able to try to help on LeBron or AD, and it's going to give them more one v one chances. Prince is the only bona fide off-screen shooter you have on this team, and with Chris Jent and how he's run the offense, he's he's their uh, assistant coach that runs the the offensive scheme. Mm-hmm. He loves ironically Dennis, like Prince.
1: previously like a shooting guru is, is like the yeah. irony there is is not lost on me. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. he is and I've looked at all of the offensive schemes he's been in charge of from Ohio State I found Bakersfield Jam film which doesn't exist on Synergy anymore and is hard to find because that team doesn't exist um I looked at the Hawks film like he loves himself a Torian Prince style individual and yeah. I think you know Malik Beasley we saw the impacts he had on like LeBron James last season when he was when the, when he was isolating 1v1 in the poster from the perimeter and the Lakers were running a play with an off-screen action for Malik Beasley, it meant that LeBron was getting easier shots, he was more efficient, and he was getting to the rim more. And it makes sense because the help defense can't help anymore. So if you take Prince away from that right now, I think you are pulling him away from what we're about to see, which is similar impact with the off-screen stuff. So I'm liking liking the shots he's taking. He's hitting them at 40% plus right now most recently. He started the season that way. I think that's more what we should expect. His defense is something that has been interesting. Like he's been thrown into the fire. We have a matchup difficulty stat at people index. It looks at like the impact and the usage of guys you're guarding. He's mm-hmm. ranked 10th in the NBA this season. He's up there with like Jaden McDaniels, Dylan Brooks, Alex Caruso, <laughs> and then Torian Prince. Like really, really weird that he's up there. And it's because the team is having him guard wings as a wing stopper. They're having him at the yeah. point of attack, like they had him on Jamal. Because well, he, game he, one he of the started season. the
1: season. Well, he he started the season right in that in that initial group before they moved Austin to the bench. Right, he mm-hmm. <laughs> you weren't going to put D'Lo on the other team's best perimeter player. Probably not going to want to do that with Austin either. So it was just like just Torian, and I almost felt like that was like borderline on unf- no, not borderline, actually unfair because Prince isn't that kind of a defender. But the Lakers didn't really have a choice because you aren't going to put lebron or ad on that player um and that, it's hilarious so that that was actually represented in in your in your uh yeah. in that stat that's incredible it,
0: it's seeing it man it's the kind of like it's like sabotage level like yeah. <laughs> go go guard kevin durant you got it you got it. you got it. you, got it. you got it. what are you looking well, at for don't need the they had
1: 21. they had that preseason they had that preseason game where he was asked to do that against Kevin Durant, and I think he picked up a foul during a timeout. It was going so <laughs> poorly. <laughs> it like, was like watching. It I was like this is yeah. you know Prince. He's trying. He's trying, but that is a difficult ask. And and yeah, yeah. I think it's looked a little better since Austin awesome went to the bench because that's allowed mm-hmm. them to get Reddish out there or get mm-hmm. Christy out there. Well, Christy Max, is actually the yeah. guy I want to 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 stick around in that in that starting group moving forward, but. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an incredible stat that you pulled there for
0: Prince. And for some context, he's never ranked in the top 175 in a season and he's now top 10 right now. So like, (laughs) this is, this isn't something he's like somewhat familiar with. This is a guy that usually is just guarding, you know, whoever, maybe an easy matchup is now it's like the, the bucks using Malik Beasley as a wing stopper, which they've also done. (laughs) done. Um, They tried it now. Now he's dropped in the rankings, but he was also top 10 for a bit. It was hilarious. But despite that, I was able to actually just today get some interesting data on Torian Prince. This is second spectrum data. The data provider, the league uses the Lakers have this data looking at the expected effective field goal percentage he has allowed in isolation situations. He's actually done a really good job 85th Mm -hmm. percentile in a good way. Cam Reddish, 94th percentile. He's been the best, but Prince has actually done second best on the Lakers and he's had some of the highest volume in those situations. So he stood up much, much better than I was expecting and much better than his norm as well, which is encouraging to me. And then when we look at him defending in on drives, same data source, he's also defended well. He was in the mid 60th percentiles, I think it was, uh, which was second best on the team also. So he's done well, but also the job will be much easier when Cam's healthy or Uh, Max is healthy or once Gabe Vincent's back, that'll help as well. Cause then maybe they'll still put Prince on some of the scoring wings, but they're not going to stick them on Jamal Murray's and Steph Curry's and that, you know, those sorts of matchups. So the defense has actually been somewhat okay for him. Uh, The shooting will be better. The defense will be better now with easier matchups. And I think his rebounding is the one other thing that is an interesting topic because his rebounding production is through the floor, like he's not getting any boards defensively. Yeah. But and, and also when you look at the tracking data, he's not winning contested rebound opportunities well. But if you look at how often he's boxing out, he's one of the Lakers' best at that. And this has directly mm. led to it. like when a shot goes up, there are certain guys on the court that just kind of watch the ball. That's bad. There's certain guys yeah. who like Christian Wood doesn't box out, but he tries to hunt every rebound, which is it ends up being fine. But I would still prefer if he boxed out. Guys like AD, he boxes out well. And then he also tries to get the board. A guy like Prince, he just goes to box out, and that's kind of where his job seems to stop. But he's done it so frequently that overall the impact that he's had on the team's rebounding has been able to go beyond his individual lack of production. And the the Lakers as a team have rebounded better when he's on the court. And, you know, if anything, it's just meaning that, you know, when Torian Prince is out there, it means more easy rebounds for like LeBron and AD and other guys to to get boards instead of Prince himself trying to to get those rebounds. So it's an area that I think it's easy to look at and say, the production isn't there. He must be bad, but his impact on the team has at, actually been in a pretty good spot. So I, I wanted to provide that nuance because I, I think it's it, interesting. And it also makes use of me spending, you know, hours of my time sitting over here <laughs> tracking box outs. Um, yeah. I want to get, I want to get content <laughs> out of this stuff. If I'm going to sit here in a dark room <laughs> with a hoodie on and, yeah. and see who's looking over their shoulder when a shot goes up.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's it's you know in a way a version that uh, uh that uh kind of brings the conversation full circle, right? It's a version of the AD yeah, he might not be getting shots up, but because of the amount of attention that he gets, he's making the game easier on offense for everybody else around him. Um but at the end of the day, like that's where I am always going to, again, I'm acknowledging that value, but I'm also going to say like, yeah, but like, could it not take the ball, like hitting you in the face to get a rebound? Like, like maybe we can start to bridge that gap where you, where you do the step after the box out, which is, you know, go and make a better attempt on, on the ball. If it is a contested rebound that goes, that, that comes down to him versus the person that he's boxing out. Right. Um, That's interesting though. That's, that's all great data. It's always great data that you bring here, um, whether it's on shows here with me or again, for everybody listening or watching, I guess right now, Uh, make sure you guys are subscribed to Lakers exceptional. It's great pod. It's, it's, it's a great experience watching the games with them. I've been doing a lot more stuff with all access Lakers. So I haven't been able to do that as much, Um, but I have been a guest on there before and it was a blast the time that I did it as well. So Um, Tim, thank you a ton for hopping on. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. This was a fun conversation that I'm sure we'll come back to over the course of the season.
0: Yeah, Anthony, thank you for having me. Uh, thanks everyone. I'd be happy to be back. Go, uh, go Lakers, go teach your children to take charges and,
1: uh, (laughs) we were good. We were good right up until then.
0: (laughs) Oh, All right, well, thank you. So thank you,
1: everybody. for <laughs> Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Uh, this will be up on the, uh, on the pod feed here shortly. Um, so if you've missed it, subscribe there and leave those reviews and, and stuff like that. Subscribe rate review here on YouTube as well. And we will talk to you uh, tomorrow when the Lakers start their next stage of the uh, in-season tournament. Harrison is like demanding that we talk after the game so he could talk about how excited the tournament was. He's so I'm annoying. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to everybody then. Thanks, Tim.